Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. And I, I want to start off our service this morning uh, bragging a little bit about yesterday. Uh, I was so proud of our church, so proud of many of you who are here. And uh, we had our community service day yesterday. We do this at least once a year. Uh, and yesterday we were at the uh, Ganesha High School in Pomona, inner city. I know maybe not seem like inner city, but it is an inner city high school. And uh, a lot of needy families there. And uh, we had an opportunity to serve there. There was a rally. And we basically gave the school a facelift. A lot of things that they aren't able to do. We, uh, more than 300 people showed up uh, from the community and from our church. And it was an incredible day. But what I found out was the, the most encouraging thing was uh, the whole idea of doing yesterday came from one of the high school students. His name is Jesus Mora. And Jesus, he's a high school student, had a vision. What if we today, or a day this year, our community service day, came together as a community and we invited people from the community to come and, 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 and give our school a facelift. And then we're sitting there in the rally with, you know, three, four hundred people, you know, all excited. I was so fired up to hear that a teenager came up with this vision. And so it ties into what we're talking about today because tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And our president has invited the whole country to participate in some kind of way to serve the community. And I think that's awesome. You know, I think that's great because what he's saying is, is we've got to find a way to give back. But he's saying one day. What if you have lived your whole life like that? I gotta find a way to give back. I've been I've been given so much. I want to find a way to give back. And what we're going to be talking about today, we're in the middle of a series called, you know, uh, be present, your present vision. And today we're going to talk about uh, faith and vision, and and how the two tie together. But I, I kind of want to kind of recap last year uh, or last week. Sorry, not last year. Last week, and that talking about vision. Did, did did you spend any time thinking about what is your specific vision? for your life. And if you're a guest here today, we're excited you're here, but we're talking about vision because vision is so important in our lives. And, and I believe we're living in a time of a crisis where too many people are flatlining. They're just going through their days, kind of like what Daniel and Darlene shared, you know, hey, how can we get up this morning, get the kid to school, then take him home, give him his nap, wake up tomorrow, get him to school, get, him to, get us to work, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it's a, it's a revolving cycle. And you stop and go, so where is this all headed? What is God's specific plan for my life? It can't be the monotony and the minutia of life. The little things, there's got to be more to it. And, and what I want to you know, communicate, as I did last week, is that God has a specific plan and vision for your life. And for everybody. But too often, we miss the boat. Because we're focused on the little things... And we're not open to thinking, hey, what is out there? So last week we looked at Abraham. And what was, what was uh, Abra God's vision for Abraham? Anybody remember? Was it little or was it big? Huh. I mean, look at the stars, Abraham. I mean, as many stars, that's your descendants will be. And, uh, you know, how important is vision in our lives? I want to I talk about that. It's huge. In life, it's so important. 
that you have a vision, you know, for your marriage, for your family, for your future family, for your future marriage, you know, for your career, for everything, but, but, but also for your faith. Where, where do you want to see God take you? Where do you, where do you see things going? And so, you know, when you have a vision, it's kind of like this image up there on the screen. It's clear, it's beautiful, and you're going, wow, life is good. But when you don't have a vision, you can get caught in so many traps of negativity, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this isn't working, and, 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 and it just becomes clouded. You struggle with discouragement, you struggle with depression, and you're just basically wandering through life. That's not, that's not what God wants. And so today we're going to be going into to the power of vision and, and the, power, the power of faith. Faith and vision, how they interact. So before we, I want to cue this video, because especially for you young people, I'm thinking, you know, what, what is something that relates to vision as it pertains to, you know, Southern California, this whole thing? And, and they're about to celebrate the X Games. Uh, and, and, and isn't it amazing what some of these people do in the X Games? We're going to look at... Uh, uh, Sean White, he's one of the, you know, the ex guys, next gen, and what he does on a snowboard, watch, I'm not going to say anymore, let's watch what he does on a snowboard. So this is last year, and that was called a 720. Okay, he's going this, he's going this. It's crazy. Every year, it's something that defies gravity. And I didn't even have time to show you some of the, the snowmobiles, the motorcycles, the skateboards. These guys literally do flips on a motorcycle. They let go of the motorcycle. They're in midair. They're doing a flip, and they're letting go of the motorcycle. They grab the seat. They grab the handlebars, and you're going, that's crazy. How do you do that? Now, they show some crashes, too, and that's not, that's not pretty. But when they pull it off, you just go, wow. But what, what's amazing about that is each one of these guys, before they do the trick, what do they do? You know, they pray, sure. <laughs> they, 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 these guys are crazy enough to imagine, to, vis to have a vision. Hey, I could do a 720. I, I, I can do, I can do a, a reverse flip on a motorcycle, let go, grab the seat, and go back, and then land it, plant it, and hit the brakes. Perfect. They envision that. And you know why these people are doing so? Such, year after year, it's, it's just crazy. There was a guy, he did on a, a front flip on a, on a snowmobile. 
Okay, it's one thing to do a back flip, all right, because you've got gravity and everything's going. How about a front flip on a snowmobile, planning it? I mean, everybody's just like, whoa, how did he? Because he, he imagined it. And I'm not saying go out, especially for young people, go out and do all this stuff. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is if you can't think it, it probably will never happen. The power of vision. Here's the scripture that we looked at last week. Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says here, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or in other words, things die. Nations die, companies die, because there's no vision. And you start to wilt, you start to just get gray and brown, and life isn't what it was created to be without vision. How important is vision? It's huge, it's everything for our lives. And so, I don't know if you took time out last week, I'm going to say it again this week, and, and I'd like this actually to, to, to talk amongst each other, to help each other, saying, hey, so what, what do you, what, what's God putting on your heart for your vision? What do you got going on? And to write it down like we talked about last week. And put it somewhere you can see it again and again. It's huge. Because if you don't write it down and you don't have a vision, what's going to happen? It's not going to become a reality. And God has, God has given each one of us. Vision transforms our thinking. And in order to have vision, you can't look back. You can't look back. And this is, this is what we're going to look at today is, you know, some of us, we got baggage, you know, and we got stuff that's gone on in our lives. It hasn't gone well. There's, there's, there's difficulty. We've got a reputation. We've had failure. There's a lot of stuff that we feel. Things aren't going well now. And it's hard to have vision when you're clouded with all the stuff from the, back, from the past. In order to have vision, you can't look back. And there's a lot of really incredible examples, strong examples. We don't have time to look at them, but I'd encourage you to look at it. Just, just the, the, the focus, you can do a study in your Bible about looking back. The Bible encourages over and over, don't do it. It's not a good thing to look back. It even applies to success. If you've got success in your past, it's, it's, it's important to learn from your past, but not live with your past. Even if you've been successful, does that mean you're going to be successful today or tomorrow? And, and for you guys that are members of our church, we've got some history as well. Some good, some not so good, right? We can't live on that. It's about here and forward. And just because we were successful and we had some things happen and some great things happen, and even in family, if things have gone well or not gone well, you have to turn the page. That's so important to vision, to think from here forward and not get trapped in your past. Vision motivates us to action. Vision wakes you up in the morning and says, hey, I want to go after this. I want to do something. Vision is necessary in every person's life. We looked at a statistic last week. 89% of what we learn is what? visual. We're all visual learners. We're all visual livers. We live based on a vision, but too often today people are putting visions in front of us and say, buy this, do this, do this, conform, go with the flow, and we don't have a personal vision. And that's a tragedy. We let other people define us instead of God, 
and our own calling define us where we're going and what we're doing. You were created with it and you were created for it. This is so important for, for all of us today. Companies and churches, they have, you know, if you look at the Fortune 500, all of them, without exception, have a vision statement. And the reason why they have it and they put it out there is because they want people to know who they are. But vision is not to tell people who you are. We don't do vision statements for that. Vision statements or vision for us is to tell us where we're going. It's to remind you of where you're going. And if you don't have a vision, guess what? Big question. Where are you going? What are you shooting for? What are you aiming for? And this is biblical. This is not self-help. This is what God is encouraging us to do so that we can fulfill His dream for us. Vision describes where you will be in the future and what that future will look like. And today we're going to talk about vision and faith. They're very connected. And they're so important together. They, they, they hold hands, vision and faith. We're going to look at a scripture. What is, what is faith? Here's the Bible defines it. Now faith is this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's faith. Faith gives you the confidence to step out. To take that leap, the jump. When those guys are doing those crazy tricks, they believe, maybe not in God, but they believe in their ability to do it. And they pull it off. What we're going to be talking about today is not belief in yourself, but belief in God. Because it's even more powerful than belief in yourself. Because when you believe in yourself and you fail, guess what? It's pretty hard to get back up again. But when you believe in God and you fail, He gives you the confidence to get back up again. It says confidence and assurance. Both of those things. Well, let's break it down. Vision is the destination. Faith is the car and the gas to get us there. It's the mode of transportation between here and our vision, our destination. Once you have the vision, how can I get there? It just seems so far. And a lot of things happen in our lives that pull us off track, that, that there's a crash, there's a disaster, there's something that happens, a failure, or our own character flaws. I'm not changing. We're not changing as a family. Our marriage, we're not changing. I'm stuck. Things, negative things can get, you know, transmitted to us. But faith helps us overcome that. And it keeps us going. And so today we're going to look at a story that continues last week. And it's probably the most famous family in history. Last week we looked at Abraham, right? And now we're going to look at Isaac and his two children. And this is, a, this is an incredible story, and I encourage you to read it for yourself because there's a lot I'm not going to be able to share with you today. But Isaac was the promised child of Abraham. Just one. But then Isaac had kind of a similar situation where his wife, Rebecca, wasn't able to have children, and then God allowed her to have children. And she not only had one child, she had two now, something interesting happened when she had these children. 
The Bible says when they were in the womb, okay? When they were in the womb, they were wrestling with each other. They were fighting. Could you imagine having twins and they're fighting in the womb? And Rebecca, Rebecca's freaking out. You know, if they, could, if they could have done those mammograms, you know, like they do now? Ultrasound, not a mammogram. Sorry. Correction. Good to have your wife in the front row. Okay. If they could have done an ultrasound. Okay, now I want you to imagine, you, remember, you know the ultrasound? And not too long ago they had an ultrasound and, and a baby was holding the doctor's finger. That was the coolest thing. But no, let's think about the ultrasound with Jacob and... Esau. Jacob's got his brother Esau in a headlock. Imagine that ultrasound. Okay? Or imagine another ultrasound. Esau's got his hands around Jacob's neck. Right? And, he's, and they're, they're choking each other, struggling. They were, they were, the Bible says they were wrestling. They were struggling in the womb. And mom was worried. She's like, God, what does this mean? And God said, hey, these two guys, these two children are going to be two nations. And they're going to struggle with each other. Then comes the birth. Esau is born first. He comes out of the womb. He's red. And he's hairy. And so they gave him the name Esau, which means red. Okay, but as Esau comes out of the womb, a hand, a hand reaches out of the womb. Now this is kind of graphic. You're going, whoa! Too much detail, too much information. No, the, the hand reaches out of the womb. It's Jacob's hand, and he grabs, he grabs Esau's heel. And so they gave Jacob the name, going after his heel or reaching after his heel. It's also another word for deceiver or liar. Got some baggage in your life? Imagine being born, imagine being born with the name deceiver, liar. Okay, your, your birth name, you're a liar and you're, go, you're going after your brother's heel. I mean, that'd be tough. How are you going to have vision when the, your name is liar? You know? That's all they call you. That's, that's your name. That's, that's a lot of stuff. So these two grow up. Esau and Jacob. They're very different. Esau is a, is a, is a wild man. He's a, he's a guy in the wilderness. Dan, Dan Strobel would have liked Esau. Hairy, red, okay? Loved to be outdoors. He was a hunter, okay? He was a man's man, you know, carried weapons, and he was always outdoors. And he was his dad's favorite because of he was, you know, man's man, you know? You like to have this, this hairy, red, just, uh, you know, outdoorsman type of child. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, was he was a little bit more homey. He liked to stay around the house and the tents with his mom. He was an excellent chef, learned how to cook from the best, but he was more of a homie, so he probably wasn't, he, he wasn't his dad's favorite, even though they were born together. So, because Esau was born first, he was in line to be, you know, to get to receive the birthright, the inheritance. And we're going to learn about that. So they get to be about 17 years old, teenagers. And one day, Esau comes in from the wilderness, and he's starving. 
He's probably been out there for a few days, wasn't able to kill or catch anything, comes in, and he's starving to death. He's about to die. And so he comes into the tent and he smells the stew. And guess where Jacob is? He's stirring the pot of stew and it's delicious. It's awesome. And so Esau says to Jacob, Jacob, give me some stew or I'm going to die. I'm starving to death. And so Jacob, he's got his name, Jacob. He's shrewd. How often does the younger brother get an opportunity to leverage against his older brother to get something? Very few times. So he starts the bidding for a bowl of stew way up high, and we're just going to see how far we can take this thing so we can get as much as possible. So where does he start the bidding? For, I'll give you a large pot or bowl of stew, Esau, because you're going to die, if you'll give me, hmm, your birthright. Ha, ha, ha. Right? Just shooting it out there. See what happens. And because Esau was a teenager and his frontal lobe hadn't fully developed yet, no offense, scientific fact. He was only thinking about the here and the now. He said, forget about my birthright. i got to eat now or I'm going to die. So what does he do? He accepts the deal. Your birthright? Now, what's a birthright? A birthright means that he was going to receive two-thirds of the family's inheritance. Not only that, he's going to be the judge and the leader of the family, the whole clan. He would receive that from his dad. He, he exchanged that for a bowl of stew. The Bible says he despised his birthright. But he's a teenager, right? So time goes on. The Bible's really not clear on it, but Isaac... Isaac, as you can see, gets well along in years. He's getting old and he's sick and he's starting to go blind. And he can't see very well. So he calls in his son, Esau, the older, and says, Esau, I'm going to call you back in and give you my blessing. I'm going to give you your birthright. And this was a formal thing that fathers did. It was a legally binding act that fathers would do. They would pass on a blessing and they would bestow that blessing upon the eldest son to be the leader. And so, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, hears the conversation with Isaac and Esau. Esau, I want you to go out and make some delicious food from, the, from some wild game and prepare it, prepare it just the way I want. And when I've eaten the food, then I'm going to give you my blessing. So Rebecca hears the story. Read it for yourself. It's a cool story. She goes and she talks Jacob into sneaking in and, 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 and basically saying he is Esau to bring him the cooked food. And this was an elaborate plan that Rebecca came up with because she wanted her son to get the blessing. So she puts goat skin on his hands, goat skin on his neck, Puts one of his, one of Esau's, you know, outdoorsy type of clothing, maybe some camouflage, you know, and some boots, and it smelled of the outdoors. It smelled of Esau. And so Isaac's kind of blind, and he comes in, and he lowers his voice, and he says, Dad, here I am. Here's your food. I am Esau. And he sneaks in under Esau. Jacob did. 
and, and, and Isaac is going, wait a second. I, I don't, you don't sound like Esau. You sound like Jacob. Come over here. Let me touch your hands. And he touches, he touches this, the, the goat skin. And then he calls him in closer and he hugs him and he smells. He smells and he says, oh, the smell is like the outdoors, like my favorite son, Esau. He touches the back of his neck and it's, again, goat skin and, and he's convinced that this is his son. And so the whole thing goes down and guess what Isaac does? He gives Jacob the blessing. And this is where we're going to pick up the story from the Bible. Esau comes in after with the tasty food, brings it to his dad, and his dad's in shock. He says, wait a minute. Who was that who just came in? I just gave him the blessing, and it's irrevocable. I can't go back and change it. What I did, I did, and it's a one-time deal, and there's no returns, no refunds, no exchanges, no 90-day that's it. And so Esau is completely livid that his brother did that. And we're going to pick it up here in Genesis 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will do what? I will kill him. That's how upset he was. I will kill my brother Jacob and then problem solved. I'll get my inheritance back. I'll get my birthright back and I'll be done with this liar. He doesn't deserve to live after what he's done. And when he says this, Rebecca gets word of the plan. And so she tells Jacob, come here, your brother wants to kill you. You got to go or you are going to face the same fate as your father. You'll die. So, Rebecca sends her son Jacob to be with her brother, Jacob's uncle, and that's Laman. And he goes there. Laman had two daughters, and this is where it gets crazy. People say, I want to have a biblical family. Careful with that. Because most of the examples here in the Old Testament are crazy examples. I would encourage you to stick to a New Testament family. Okay? It's more recommendable because this stuff, it's, it's kind of crazy what happens in the Old Testament with some of these families. And this is one instance. So, Jacob goes to live with his uncle, and he has two daughters. He falls in love with the younger. Her name is, anybody know? Rachel. Okay, but he gets a taste of his own medicine. Laban, he basically says, You love my daughter, but. I got Leah, she's the older one, and we don't have the custom of marrying the younger one before the older one, so I'm going to give you my older daughter. And he was deceived. He woke up the next morning after the wedding night, and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And it's like, what? You deceived me? How could you do that? I worked for seven years for Rachel, and you gave me Leah. And it's this whole drama. So he ends up marrying them both. But Leah... Leah knows that she's not loved by her husband. And so this whole quest for children starts, and it's crazy. She starts having children, and then she's like, okay, I've got children, and then Rachel can't have children, so she takes her maidservant, and she has, uh, you know, she gives her maidservant to Jacob, 
you know, to have children. And it's crazy. Literally, you've got to read this sometime because it's a crazy story. Literally, Jacob would come home from work in the afternoon and there'd be a different woman standing at the entrance of the tent and says, come here, we've got to have a child. It's crazy. And Jacob's like, whatever. <laughs> Eleven children are born, two midwives, two wives. Favorite wife, second favorite wife. That's a biblical family. Don't recommend it. New Testament. New Testament is what we're, we're focusing on for, for family, right? So after 20 years, but here's the thing, with Jacob, with all the children, God starts to bless his life because God is with him. On his way, on his way to meet with his, his father-in-law, he, he, he has this, this encounter with God, and God says this to Jacob on his way to meet with his, with his uncle. He says, here, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God made this promise to Jacob, and it came true because God blessed Jacob's family, his life. He became exceedingly wealthy. And there was no way to explain it. Even his father-in-law, his uncle said, God's with you. It's obvious. But you know what? We can't live together anymore because you've got too many hers. This is not working. You've got to move over here because you're, you're taking up everything. And it was at this point God called him again. Then Jacob, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. And Jacob's thinking, you better be with me. Because if I go back, who am I going back to? Esau. And if Esau is the same Esau, now it's been 20 years, if Esau was the same Esau that he left, how, what would happen? Not only was he going to kill him, he was going to kill his 11 sons. Take all of his possessions, which he had many, and he's going to wipe them out. So this is a big deal for, for Jacob. Jacob is, is trembling with fear when God says, hey, you're going to be with me. Well, you better because I am terrified for my life. And this is what we're talking about. Vision is one thing. Faith is another. Jacob had to put his faith in God. And this is where it's going to touch ground for you. Some of you are looking at your vision and you're going, I don't know if I can do it. There's so many obstacles, there's so many things happen, and God is saying to you the same way, because He gives us this promise through His Son, Jesus, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you, I'm going I'm to be with you. And you're saying the same thing that Jacob is, you better, God, because I'm not feeling it. I'm scared to death. A little different situation than maybe some of us are facing. We don't have family members that are wanting to kill us. So here's the encounter. Here's the encounter. He finally takes, and it's this massive, you know, and, uh, uh, you know herds of animals and, and massive family, and he looks up, and guess what Jacob sees? And they spent, he spent the night wrestling. God changed his name from Jacob to what? Israel, meaning he wrestles with God. And Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with 400 men. What a reception. 
Now, 400 men. Why would you bring 400 men? Maybe armed on horseback. Why would you do that? And Jacob sees this. Jacob is looking and he's seeing this is a scary situation. This is Esau. He's finally going to have his revenge. He's going to wipe him out. He's waited 20 years. And this is, this is, this is the day that I, I, I seize the opportunity. And to see the vast animals and to see the family, he's like, oh, am I going to get my fill? I'm going to get it all now. And so here's what Jacob does. So he divided up his children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the female servants at the front with their children. And then in verse 2, Leah and her children next. And then who is at the rear of the whole party? Rachel, the wife, his favorite wife. We talked about that, right? And Joseph. Joseph of the 11 children is the only one mentioned by name. What's that tell you about Joseph? We're going to talk about him next week. But Joseph was somebody special. And Joseph's of the age, he's seeing, he's in the back, and he gets to see everything that goes down that day. And he gets to see his dad struggling to find faith. They'd heard stories when they were little about their uncle Esau and, and what happened and how everything went down. And, and, and one day, Uncle Esau, if we ever see him again, he's got it in for dad. He wants to kill dad. And so here they are. And they're watching. And they see their dad. Their dad is trembling with fear. And it says here in verse 3, he himself went on ahead. So he takes point. And he's on ahead and he bows down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. Just man, and, and I think he was bowing down to his brother, but I think he's also bowing down to God. God, please. And he, and he bows down to the ground, face to the ground, seven times. A few steps, bows down again and again and again. Not knowing what's going to happen. It took a tremendous amount of faith for him to do that. And then, Esau, the Bible says, Esau ran to meet Jacob. And he embraced him. Now, when a man at that time, ahead of the household, ahead of a, of a, a group of 400 men, when he runs, it's a humiliating thing. He didn't care what people thought. He ran to his brother, and it says here, he embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck. Not in a bad way, in a good way. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. He kissed him. And they both wept. This is powerful. We're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about an event where a family is brought back together again. There's forgiveness. And I, I want to lift up Esau here because he's had a bad rep. But Esau forgave his brother. And that's powerful. And so many of us are caught in the drama of our family situations. And we don't speak and we don't talk and we haven't seen each other in years and, and we're estranged. And all of that because we don't have vision for what God can do. And, most of all, we don't have faith. This was a tremendous meeting. And guess who's there watching it? The children. See, and we're going to talk about this more next week, but what you do affects your children. 
See, because they're watching what you do, maybe not what you say. We focus so much on what we say, and our children aren't going to remember much what we said. They're going to remember what? What we do. And this is going to come true next week. When we talk about Joseph, it's huge what he saw that day. Esau looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these with you? He asked, Jacob's answer, these are the children God has graciously graciously given your servant. On that day, there was a reconciliation, there was forgiveness that was undeserved, and there was a name change. Jacob's name, he went from being a liar, a cheat, a deceiver, to being what? The father of many nations. He who wrestles with God. A new identity. And today I want to leave you with that. I don't know what your baggage is. I don't know what your reputation is. I don't know who you are, your past. Some of you I do. And you got some stuff. I know. But here's the problem. You're living trapped in that past and in that reputation. And because you have no vision... You're not able to move forward. And because you have no faith, you're not able to move to that next level of living. And these kinds of things can't happen. They won't happen. Reconciliation won't happen. Forgiveness won't happen. And name change. Identity change. That you become a different person can't happen. Because simply put, you don't have vision and you don't have trust in God that He can bring this about. I want to call you today to let go of your past. Jacob had to do that. He had to say, God, You have the power to change me. You have the power to transform my name and who I am. And he had to trust that God was going to see him through. That God was going to put gas in the tank and he was going to be able to drive up and start over again. Faith did that. See, because faith, what it does, faith allows you to take steps. Faith means the kind of steps that you're going to take today so that you can move closer to your vision tomorrow. What will you do today to move you closer to your vision? And I can just share honestly, I think some of you didn't take very many steps last week towards moving towards your vision. My concern is, this week, it will be similar. I don't want to be negative, I'm just saying. Typically, people hear things, and they don't act on them. When you hear these stories, you hear, you hear what God does, and you go, man, I want that. Okay, well then, you've got to move in that direction. You've got to take steps towards your vision. And those steps have to happen when? Now. This week. You can take steps of faith that will change everything. I don't know where your marriage is at. I don't know where your, your home life is at. But you can take steps today that could change everything. That's the way we need to live. What I do today depends on what I see in the future. What do you see? If you have no vision, it's hard to take steps towards something you're not looking at. Well, here, let's wrap this up. Faith in action. What steps will you take this week 
practically speaking, what steps will you take this week? I encourage you to write some things down. Maybe for some of you it's a phone call. Maybe for some of you it's waking up earlier in the morning so you can get your day started. Maybe it's spending more time reading about Jacob and reading about the situation that happened. It's interesting. It's inspiring. Maybe for some of you it's forgiving a family member. Maybe for some of you it's going to have to set some goals. And, and maybe for some of you it's going to mean having some conversations. But I want to encourage you to write this stuff down. We live in a digital age where we think we can just write it down on our cell phone or on our computer. No, there's something, something special about writing things down and then putting it up. It's powerful. And I want to encourage us to engage with each other. Let's help each other out with this. Let's have some conversations. Hey, so what did you get? What's your vision? And even among the teens... Instead of all the, you know, the surfacey talk, and for the guys too, I want to say, you know, who's going to win the game this afternoon? It's starting in just a few minutes. Hey, who cares? You know, great, San Francisco 49ers win. Hey, after the Super Bowl, they win the Super Bowl. That's awesome. You're still going to be who you are. After all that comes and goes, let's talk about the big game. Okay. Big game of being a father, being a husband, being a, a mother, being a, a child, being a student, being whatever it is. That's the big game. That's the touchdown. That's spiking the ball. That's winning the championship. That's everything. Now, have fun. Enjoy the game. But don't take your eye off the ball. The big one. And if you're a guest here today, I want to encourage you to do our core four Bible studies. And if you've been doing those studies, I want to encourage you to take the step of faith that God is calling you to. And for some of you, that step of faith is what? Get baptized. What are you waiting for? Jacob had to sit there and think about it. Man, if I go back, my brother's going to kill me. If I get baptized, that means I'm going to have to change my life. That means I'm going to have to give up some things and do things differently. What are you afraid of? It's time to make that big step. And everything can happen on that big step. Everything can change if you'll take that step of faith towards your vision. It's exciting living. I want to leave you with this thought. Tomorrow, we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day, right? And we, we sang it out on, on Saturday, Martin Luther King. What a legacy he left for this nation. Do you realize that if he had not done what he'd done, if he'd not pursued the vision that he had, what our nation would be like today? Would we have a black president? I mean, we could have been stuck. And it didn't just affect African Americans. We're talking, you know, anybody who represents a minority... It could have changed everything. Our nation, and I grew up in that environment, okay, in the southeast, in the late 60s, early 70s, it was not a pleasant environment. There was, there was racism, there was discrimination. I felt it being a Latin child in a predominantly white small town in the southeast. It was real. He changed everything because he had a vision. And he pursued that vision. Do you know that Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., had many offers to move to the Northeast and be a professor 
at one of the prestigious universities of the Ivy League? Did you know that? And that he verily could have easily just said, you know what, I'm not going to go on these marches. I'm going to go and make my life, and I can talk about it from the Northeast. I can, I can speak. I can have this talking head points. I don't have to march. I don't have to roll up my sleeves and be with the people. I can just go talk about it. I can write books. I can go on a speaking tour and make all kinds of money and be safe. But his vision and his faith, and let me just say this, that vision that he had and that faith that he had didn't come from humanism. It came from this book. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man of faith. And where he got that faith to fulfill his vision was from God. I believe that. But what if he didn't pursue it? What if he had taken the more comfortable road what if? Here's where it comes down for you. What if you don't follow your vision? Whose life's not going to change? Whose marriage is not going to change? This is big. See, you and I don't think in these terms. We get caught up in the, the rat race and the small living. God's saying, stop. I'm trying to take you someplace higher. Look at my word. Look at, look at the examples. Look at what I want to do with, with my servants. Look at where I want to take you. I want to do something big. I want to do something big with this church. It's much bigger than us. But it takes vision and it takes faith. Let's wrap it up with communion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Who can inspire us? Who led the way in faith? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. You want to know what faith is? Jesus showed us what faith is. Verse 2, it says here, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What joy? How could there be joy hanging on a cross, being whipped 40 times minus one, bleeding, having a a thorny cross on your head, being brutalized, insulted? How could there be joy when you're facing that vision? And let me tell you, he knew exactly what was going to happen. Details of how he would be crucified, he knew. But was he thinking about the cross? For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Who was he thinking about when he was embracing the cross? Who was his vision? What was his vision? You. You and me and this world are his vision. Was his vision. And that's what helped him get there. See, he believed in you before you even knew. He put his faith in you. I believe if you understand the significance of the cross, you will change your life. You will change your marriage. You will change your family. You will change your destiny. Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray.